Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Folks, I got another good one for you today. We've got Keith Meyer in the house. He has operated and managed several mobile home parks for over 25 years. He talks a lot about how he's able to communicate effectively with brokers, as well as being able to reach out to property owners directly. That's a great skill. So we're going to talk about the tactics he'll use with cold calling and email campaigns. That's a very effective tool whether you are a flipper or a wholesaler or a multifamily or a single family investor slash operator, those are very valuable tactics. So he delves into that. He also talks about tactics that he uses to improve the values of investment properties. So it's a good episode. I think you'll learn a lot from it. Let's get into it. So without further ado, let me talk a little bit about our guest today, Keith Meyer. Keith's family has owned and significantly increased the net worth of several large mobile home parks over the past 25 years. And he especially adept at deriving value from affordable workhouse, workforce housing projects. He has experienced both at working effectively with brokers and at contacting commercial property owners directly, a tactic which has become increasingly important in the current real estate environment. Keith is an engineering graduate of the University of Michigan and currently resides in San Diego. How are you doing today, man? Doing great, Dre. How about yourself? Good, good, man. Glad to have you on the show. Happy to be here. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate. Yeah, so uh, it runs in my family to an extent from the Cincinnati, Ohio area. And my grandfather was a residential subdivision developer. So he did that his entire career. My father kind of took a different career path, went more into the corporate business world, but always had the itch to do some real estate on the side. So my family bought our first mobile home park in the mid nineties in the Cincinnati area and doing uh, landscaping and, and projects on that park was my job through high school, essentially. So I got some exposure at a young age and I, like you just read in my bio, went to University of Michigan, got my engineering degree, Started off in the corporate world, you know, had a good good career path going. Um, transitioned out to San Diego, uh, working in biotech for about the last ten years, and I just always kind of had in the back of my mind that I would have some involvement with real estate in, in some form or fashion. So I uh, bought a house out of college, lived in that for a couple of years in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then I relocated. I held on to the house and uh, converted it into a rental property. So I guess that was personally, my first foray into being a landlord uh, and into investment real estate. But like I said, my family had some exposure to that at, at an earlier age. So when they bought this mobile home park, you know, what specific strategies did they do to employ to increase the value of it? Well, funny you ask that buying in the mid nineties was a lot different than, than buying and operating today. Mm-hmm. So um, we were looking through, through newspapers, you know, pre-internet era. And there weren't no, there was no such thing as a professional third party property management firm. So we had to hire you know somebody that lived in the property and really keep a close eye on them in terms of management. So it was 
a very hands-on business, but fortunately cap rates were quite a bit better back then. So we did uh, very well with the property, but um, it, it took a lot of, a lot of manpower and a lot of time. So that's one thing that really stood out when I decided to get back into the acquisitions and operations mode and commercial real estate a couple of years ago mm-hmm. was how much things had changed in that regard and how much easier it was to leverage partners and third-party service providers to, to make your life easier so that you can focus on um, what your your core skill set is and what you which aspects of the business you really enjoy doing. What, is there anything or do you see parallels between lessons learned and mobile harm parks that you apply to apartment investing? Yeah, it's a pretty similar industry. I mean, some of the metrics are a little different when you get into operating expense ratios and, and things like that. But really, the mechanics of the, the P&L operate the same. They're underwritten pretty similarly. Lending terms have really converged to where they're pretty similar these days, which is mind-blowing to us. Having been in the business for 20-plus years, even 10 years ago, you weren't getting a loan on a mobile home park anywhere close to what you could get on a stabilized apartment building. But now... We're seeing very, very similar terms. We actually just did an agency Fannie Mae cash out refinance on our mobile home park that we purchased last year. So we only owned it for about a year and we're able to do that at extremely attractive terms that were on parallel with apartment buildings. So that part of the business has been really encouraging to see improve. Yeah, that is very encouraging. And so for someone that was just trying to get started in buying a mobile home parks, what advice should you give them? Should they, I know there's small lots, right? So there's a, there might be a few pads, maybe eight to 12, but maybe obviously there's larger pads. So should they go larger? Should they go smaller? Or just what feedback do you have in general about someone that wanted to get into, like, what if, what if they wanted to specialize in just mobile home parks? What advice you should give someone? Yeah. So if you're willing to put in the work and it's a property that's local to your area, you can make a lot of good money off those smaller parks, those 20 sites and less properties. We're still seeing those sell at at really good cap rates. And that it's uh, folks that are in the bigger properties just don't want to get into fixing up properties of that nature. So that's a good place to start. That's pretty manageable as well. You're not going to be in over your head too much, but I would definitely recommend still taking on a mentor at a minimum. So I mentioned lending has really improved in recent years. Also the educational platforms on the space have, I mean, there's 10 plus mobile home park specific podcasts or masterminds or educational platforms out there these days. That's all relatively new. So uh, you can reach out to those folks. You can attend conferences, join a mastermind and really get a good support network to help you take down the smaller deals. Good deal. And then how did you, I know also too, like you, you've had some experience with the affordable workforce housing, like those type of projects. So how did you get into that and how are you able to derive value from that as well? Yeah. So we consider our parks under that, that vein, along with kind of the class C, low class B apartment buildings. So those are your, your more value adds. We just see such a need for that type of housing across the board, especially here in the Southwest um, where I'm located and where we primarily invest. So just seeing, you know, what rents are, seeing how high occupancy are is at, uh, at properties, how few units are coming online compared to population growth. That makes, makes the math pretty simple in terms of knowing that you're going to be able to fill up most properties as long as you can keep it available at an affordable price point. So you can get the, get the property under contract at a de- decent price and then have a manageable renovation budget, then you know, ultimately you're going to be able to charge a affordable market rent and still make a good profit. So it's kind of a win-win situation. Good. And I want to transition a little bit and talk about 
more of the role what you do for Symphony Capital. So obviously, like you do a lot of relations with brokers and connecting with commercial property owners. So tell me what that's like and how you communicate and work with brokers. Yeah. So I fulfill the kind of the upfront acquisitions role. So that does entail both broker relations and um, what I call co-sponsor or co-GP relations. Mm-hmm. So those are the two main avenues that we're getting our deal flow through. It's kind of different approaches or different strategies. So I'll go over some quick pros and maybe some cons of each, but on the broker side. So if you're kind of acting as a primary sponsor, that's a pretty high touch role is, is staying in front of brokers and letting them know that you're serious about making offers in their given market. So we took that approach earlier this year in the Arizona market, close to where I'm located in San Diego. And, you know, even with all the advantages that we have going for us, we just found it really challenging to cross the finish line, get through best and final rounds on a lot of these listed properties. So we kind of took a step back to reassess a little bit more of what our strengths were when you get into the 20 or so different roles that it takes to to take down a commercial real estate deal and said, okay, well, well, what are our top five that we want to focus on and can we partner on the rest? So that's the approach that we've taken more recently and had more success with in terms of working with co-sponsors that are based in or located in markets that we want to be active in and that our investors want to deploy capital into and across the Southwest, uh, Texas. We just closed a syndication deal in Kansas City, Missouri, a lot of those Midwestern markets finding good uh, co-sponsors that are, you know, have a couple of hundred units under their belt and have demonstrated that they're, they're capable of taking down deals and operating deals in those markets, but they're not necessarily the most experienced on the syndication side or the investor management side. That's where a team like ours can come in to enable them to, to ramp up and scale up their business while also meeting our needs and meeting the needs of our LP investors as well. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how you can, one team might not be able to lift the project by itself, being able to leverage and bring teams together. We're closing this Friday on 75 units in Texas, and we've got about three teams, again, coming together in that same capacity. And I think you guys are, are kind of doing the same thing in Houston, I believe, right? Again, just teaming up with different teams to take down bigger deals or just also leverage different weaknesses. And that's that's just the beauty of multifamily and real estate. And so and in terms of when you're contacting the commercial property owners directly, you want to go through maybe an example dialogue or what that looks like uh, for us, how, like how you specifically communicate with them? Yeah. So we see this a lot on the mobile home park space side. And that is actually how we got the deal in Kansas City as well was kind of an off-market direct owner deal. So typically I approach it with reaching out to the owner directly and they're usually getting a pretty high volume of calls. So I introduce myself as, as being a small time, relatively small operator, let's say in the mobile home park space. Now that I own in New Mexico and Arizona, I can say that I'm a local operator. So they're confident that I'm able to close deals and I'm familiar with all the rules and regulations that are in those given markets. So I kind of start the conversation by by talking about what their experience has been like operating in that market for however many years they have compared to, to our experience, see if there's any tips or referrals or anything that we can give them to get the relationship rolling. And then I essentially ask what they see the next 10 years of their lives looking like, kind of put leave at high level at that. That'll give some insights into how active they want to be into multifamily management and operations. And then from there, I can kind of on the spot, develop a plan of what a what an exit glide path might look like for them. So if they want to stay involved to a, to a small extent, but 
kind of hand off the management operations. I can help with structuring us to get involved and maybe bring on a third-party property manager. We can look at things like seller financing if they're concerned about tax consequences of, of selling, capital gains taxes um, to where we can help mitigate that. And then you know, I'll educate them on 1031 exchanges or some of the other tax mitigation aspects. So being able to bring that value to these owners is the most beneficial aspect of that relationship. I'm willing to move on to our second half of the show, the legacy round. And it's an open form on your favorite acquisition that forever changed the trajectory of your business or life with Symphony Capital. Or it could be practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investor network. Yeah, so I, I talk about our acquisitions a lot, but I wanted to try to kind of force myself to touch on the other topics here. So I'm building your network. That's something that we have really focused on at Symphony Capital. Like I mentioned earlier, we kind of took a step back to say, okay, we we, we need to build this infrastructure and this, this system, this network up a little bit more before we're, we're equipped to take take down deals to the volume that we want to. So on the investor side, I would say what I love about commercial real estate is the multifaceted nature. So I think that we do a good job of connecting with our investors by understanding what their pain points are at any given time. Maybe they're to a point in their life where they're looking at wealth growth beyond just their W-2 salary. So we can educate them on obviously how commercial real estate's regularly able to achieve 20% average annual returns in most cases. If they're looking for cash flow to pay bills, being on the affordable workforce housing side on some of our investments, those are usually pretty high cash flowing assets. So we can educate on what that looks like on an annual basis. Maybe they're more highly appreciated on their wealth and they're looking for tax avoidance strategies. Um, so we can we can help kind of lay out what a 10, 20 year plan would look like in that regard. And then maybe they're just looking to take a more passive role with, with wealth building or ramp down their full-time job to a part-time job so we can help them kind of map out what's uh, getting more involved in the limited investment side of real estate would look like. There you go. And then the last semino of our show is called the Giordano Round. Um, as you know, this is the multi-family by the Slice podcast, which alludes to my background of being from Chicago and deep dish pizza. I was wondering what Gi- that meant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Giordano's is the, the number one pizza place in Chicago pretty much. And you know, Giordano's a town and it stands for the flow of things. And so we want our listeners to leave with something that really impacts them. So this is going to be a rapid fire series of four questions of, that we ask every guest at the show. And the first one is routine is key. Describe what a typical day looks like for you and how small daily discipline tasks have helped you be successful. Yeah. So I I do start pretty early. Part of that's being based on the West Coast. So I've tried the 4 a.m. miracle morning thing to an extent. Was able to do it for a little bit, but took some bits and pieces of it. And, you know, basically I'm up and running full speed by 6.30 or so. I have started to throw some cold showers in there. And I actually, I started doing them first thing in the morning and kind of challenging, but what I found is that uh, if I go hard for four or five hours in the morning when I'm around lunchtime, I kind of hit the wall a little bit, but I've already had a pretty accomplished day. So mm-hmm. around that time is when I try to take an hour or two off to just refuel, maybe maybe do that cold shower to kind of re-energize myself, do some yoga, go outside for a walk. The weather's always nice here in San Diego, so that's easy enough to do. And then you know I'll, I'll come back early mid-afternoon and, and feel re-energized and ready to crank out another good uh, couple hours of work. There you go. There was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on the listeners to help them, what would it be? My biggest thing would be don't ever be afraid to ask for referrals. In fact, be very aggressive at asking for referrals. I think that human nature is people want to help other people and people like talking about 
things that they figured out or, you know, things that are, are cool that they, they like or have had success with. So once I kind of got more comfortable with that, I've had so much, such better luck, you know, going direct to a referral versus going online and trying to search for a given tool or service provider and starting from scratch. So, you know, you're, you're going to have a good network if you interact with this industry the right way. So really rely on those people and trust those people to to help you out if you're looking for something in particular. I vocab. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? So I'm going to stick to the the syndication side uh, for the most part, because that's what we do at Symphony Capital Group. So right. number one, I'd say leverage. And that's mm-hmm. going to be your, your biggest part of the capital stack these days. And it's also going to be the most important given where cap rates are and where interest rates are. So you're looking at 65 plus percent of the capital stack in general. So I would recommend being proactive in that regard. If you're targeting a number of different markets, um, maybe as a co-GP, then understanding whether your local operators have those banking relationships, or if you need to look at more of a a national uh, mortgage broker type relationship so that you can move quickly, you can get soft terms and then get uh, firm terms within the tight due diligence and closing windows that we're all operating uh, under in, in today's world. So I'd really start building those relationships and those reliable partners well ahead of when you actually are trying to close on a deal. Number two would be preferred equity. So that is a, a class of limited investor that we started incorporating into our syndications. So basically they're given kind of a guaranteed preferred return ahead of the common equity or the the normal 70-30 waterfall investors that we're used to dealing with. We like introducing that because it, it's a win-win for LPs and GPs. It gives the GPs uh, access to a little bit lower cost of capital since you're typically giving away about 8 to 12% uh, cost of capital versus closer to 18 to 20% with your, your all class B common equity investors. But then it also gives uh, your investors more diversification. Uh, so if you're doing a high value add, type deal that might not start cash flowing until year two or so. They're getting that guaranteed preferred return up front and, and kind of hedging their the payout of their returns over time over the whole period of, of the deal. So we found a, a really big appetite for that type of offering. And then I had for number three, key principle. So that's another relationship that you should be very proactive in building. And it's kind of used as a loose term, but Really, it encompasses the the entity or the person that's going to help you close the deal during the acquisition phase so they could serve as the loan guarantor. Um, they have that net worth and liquidity to satisfy the bank. They could cover the earnest money deposits. So we're seeing pretty high earnest money requirements these days, often hard after a short period of time. I mean, as, as GPs, we need to maintain a certain level of liquidity for bank qualification as well. So being able to outsource that that role, as well as covering due diligence costs when you get into the inspections and bank fees, things like that. Um, and then just having them on as a trusted advisor as well is pretty priceless. So we're happy to carve out a percentage of the GP to have a really trusted key principal on board on our team. Yeah, I like that you used uh, talking about key principle and the preferred equity. Those are two terms that really a lot of people don't talk about, especially from a vocab system or just podcast in general. So I like that you were, you were different and you talked about those. And, and I do think that's a unique strategy. Like you said, you always hear about preferred return, but the fact that you guys are doing like a preferred equity instead, that's definitely unique and a way to stand out. I'm going to move on to question four. Education is critical in this business. What books or mastermind groups will you recommend our listeners immerse themselves in and why? 
from this, I got to give, give a shout out to my business partner in Symphony Capital Group, Ellis Hammond. He runs one of the largest faith-based Christian masterminds for commercial real estate investors called Kingdom REI. Has a phenomenal ecosystem of, of education, mastermind, coursework, webinars on YouTube. Uh, has an awesome podcast. You can access all, all the platforms. It has over 100 episodes now. Some really, really amazing guests on that. Really, really good episodes. So I've really enjoyed uh, watch, watching him grow in that regard and helping him to grow that brand and grow our Symphony brand in parallel. Um, and I think he does a really good job of helping you to more holistically see uh, what type of lifestyle habits uh, you need to be balanced and be able to grow into a CEO of a business because that's essentially what multifamily operators and syndicators are. So really useful knowledge there. And then the other one I'd throw out is a really good book came out about a year ago, Raising Capital for Real Estate by Hunter Thompson. Um, I think he took a really, he saw a, a need for that knowledge in the market in that really cohesive way to explain what an ecosystem looks like to obtain investors who are willing to trust you enough to give you fifty, dollars $100,000 within a week or so of meeting you. I mean, that really is a big leap of faith uh, to take in a lot of cases, but that's kind of the world where we're in uh, these days with multifamily syndication and how in-demand deals are and how in-demand capital is for finding yield. So being able to proactively promote your team and your knowledge in the space and clearly communicating what your investment focuses are and your investment theses are. Um, I think he does a good job of laying out what that roadmap looks like. Yeah, that's a good book. Definitely agree. It was definitely a need in the marketplace. Yeah. So how can Multifamily by the Slice listeners best get in touch with you or learn more about the services you provide through Symphony Capital? Yep. Best way is uh, our website is symphonycapitalgroup.com. My email is keith at symphonycapitalgroup.com. We're all over Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. My personal LinkedIn is uh, linkedin.in slash keithme. Great. Well, Keith, I really appreciate you for having you on the show. Just want to end with the quote that I always in every podcast episode with, and it's definitely the quote that's tattered on my forearm. At some point, there is no excuse. Either you'll do everything it takes to make it happen or you don't. And I just want to again, thank you for your time, Keith. I appreciate it. Couldn't agree more. It's been a blast, Trey. Good talking thank with you. you. you Take care, man. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.